foundation of all our communion with God and comfortable dependence upon him. I'll give you some options, multiple choice. A, justification. Justification is the foundation of all our communion with God. B, the Trinity. C, the word of God. Or D, adoption. Okay, anybody want to try a guess? John. Okay, good guess. <laughs> Any other guesses? <laughs> yes, that was the hint. Yeah, so um, of course you could think of all of these, justification or the word of God or adoption as the foundation of all our communion with God. Uh, but in the second London Confession, there is that line that says the Trinity is the foundation of all our communion with God and all of our comfortable dependence upon him. And so the fact that God is three in one, one God in three persons, is the foundation. Now, my guess is there's some disconnect for a lot of people with that statement. Uh, the Trinity seems like a very confusing idea to many people. And so the first thing you might think of with the Trinity is, well, uh, yeah, I know I'm supposed to believe that, but I don't really understand it very well, and it's confusing. It's a brain buster. It's a mystery to us. But we have to understand as much as we can about the Trinity, as much as the Bible tells us, um, so that we have this communion with God, this comfortable dependence upon him. Uh, obviously, God is infinite, and so God is mysterious, and we will not fully understand it, but we want to understand as much as we can. Uh, Isaiah 40 says, Behold your God. And so one, main, one of the main uh, parts of being a Christian, one of the main aspects is beholding God and thinking about him and looking at who he is. And then Psalm 27 verse 4 says, One thing I have asked of the Lord and that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. And so, what do we want to do as a Christian? You want to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. You want to think about who he is. Um, William Perkins, uh, a Puritan, he said, Theology, which is the study of God, theology is the science of living blessedly forever. So it's thinking about how to live blessedly forever. So do you want a blessed life? Uh, do you want to glorify God and enjoy God forever? Uh, do you want to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord? Well, then you need to understand who God is. Uh, each of us needs to grow in our knowledge of God. And uh, by growing knowledge of God, we live blessedly forever. So God is uh, triune. God is three in one. Uh, so that's the basics of the Trinity. We're going to go far beyond the basics today. Um, but the word Trinity just means tri-unity. So there is a unity in God. Uh, there is one God. And he exists in three persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Spirit is God. The Father is not the Son. Uh, the Son is not the Father, the Spirit is not the Father, and the Spirit is not the Son. Okay, so that right there, that's the, the essence of 
what a person needs to believe to, to know the true God and to be a Christian. Um, one God, three persons. But then there's much more of understanding what that means. So uh, we'll start by talking about this. Um, we're going to start today by talking about God's simplicity. Okay, so God is simple. Now, what does that word mean in our normal usage? What, what do we mean when we say the word simple? Exactly, right. So basic, easy, and not complex. So would you say that God is not, is God easy to understand? <laughs> okay, so, so the irony here is that in the way that we normally use the word, um, God is very hard to understand. So what do we mean when we say God is uh, simple? Um, so the, the word simple here means, what we're talking about is whether something is one thing or made up of parts. So a whole thing or made up of parts. So this word simple really just related to the word for one. So is God simple or is he made up of parts? That's what we're trying to talk about. Okay, so sort of, this is sort of an analogy. This ring is simple in a sense because uh, it's not a bunch of things coming together. It is one piece of metal that was put together as a ring. Um, so in, in that sense, you could say this ring is simple, but a watch is complex because a watch is made up of gears and hands and all these different parts. So cars, computer chips, chicken pot pies, they are all complex uh, because they're all made up of parts. Okay, so what about God? Is God one or is God many? Is he made of parts or is he without parts? Well, we believe that God is simple. God is without parts. Uh, a pastor named Mark Jones, he says, to call a person simple in today's usage is an insult. To call God simple is to glorify him. Okay, so we want to understand what we mean when we say God is simple. Uh, in the hymnal, there's the second line in confession. You can look it up. Um, we're going to look at it some today. It is on page 671 near the back. So it's not hymn 671, but if you keep going after the hymns, there are some page numbers at the bottom. And it's, we're, on, we're going to be on, starting on page 671. So you see paragraph 1, so chapter 2, where it says God and the Holy Trinity. And then it says the number 1, that's paragraph 1. So page 671, near the bottom, it says, The Lord our God is but one only living and true God, whose subsistence is in and of himself, 
infinite in being and perfection, whose essence cannot be comprehended by any but himself, a most pure spirit, invisible, without body, parts, or passions. So notice it says there, he is without parts. But it also says some other things. So notice first it says that God's subsistence is in and of himself. That just means his existence. So God exists of himself. He depends on nothing and no one to exist. He is self-existent. So that's one of the reasons we believe he is simple. He's not made up of parts. Because if God was made up of parts, then someone had to make those parts. And then someone had to put them together, and then putting them together becomes God. Um, but because God is not made up of parts, he's God. He is self-existent. No one put him together. Stephen Charnock, he says, We conceive no other way of God. We can conceive no other way of God unless he were a pure, whole, unmixed spirit. If he had distinct parts, he would depend on them. Those parts would exist before him. His essence would be the effect of those distinct parts, and so he would not be absolutely the first being. But God is the first being. Isaiah 41.4 says he is the first and the last. So that's one reason we think God is simple, or we believe God's simple. He's not made up of parts. Uh, then second... Uh, notice it also says he is infinite in being. He's infinite in being. And so because God is infinite, he is without parts. You only have one infinite thing. If you had three infinities, uh, the world would not be big enough. Um, or whatever, all, everything that exists could not be big enough. So it's logically impossible to have eight infinities, eight infinite parts coming together to make up God. So because God is infinite, there can only be one infinite thing, and that one infinite thing is God. Um, so that's why it says he is without parts. Now, you might be saying, okay, that sounds logical, but where is that in the Bible? Well, one, way, one place we can... Uh, think about this is in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Uh, you can turn there if you want. Um, maybe you have it memorized. Uh, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, so Yahweh, the God of Israel, Yahweh is one. The Lord is one. So, we often read that verse and think, the Lord is one means he's not zero, and he's not two, and he's not 300. As in, there are not 300 gods out there. There are not two gods out there. There is one God out there. Well, that's true. That's part of what Deuteronomy 6.4 is saying. But it's also saying, when it says the Lord our God is one, that he is one thing. He is made up of one thing. He is not many things. The Lord is himself. The Lord is one. Maybe another passage that this sounds familiar to is 
Exodus 3.14. Exodus 3.14, when God appears to Moses at the burning bush, and he tells Moses what his name is. What is his name? He says, I am who I am. I am who I am. So the, the name Yahweh, we translate as the Lord, is the, the word that just means I am. I exist. So um, that tells us, first of all, that God exists depending on nobody else. He's always existed. Uh, he always will exist. And he depends on nothing else to exist. But it also tells us what he is. What is he? He just is. He is what he is. He's made up only of himself. And so that's also part of why he appears at the burning bush. And the bush is not consumed. So the Lord doesn't depend on the bush to provide the fuel for the fire. Because he doesn't depend on anything to exist. Um, think about us. You need food. So the, the saying, you are what you eat, in some senses is literally true. Uh, the food that you take into your body gets processed and creates sugars and cells and all these things that sustains your body. So you depend upon food to eat, to, to exist. And so when God appears at the burning bush, what he's trying to tell us is that he doesn't depend on anything. And so the implication of that then is there's nothing that makes up him. You know, we are made up of our food, but not God. God is not made up of other stuff. He is what he is. So that's another passage that tells us God is simple. He's made up of one thing, himself. We can also think about other passages that tell us what God is. So 1 John 1, 5 says, God is light. 1 John 1, 5. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. So God is light means that God is pure. There is nothing mixed in with God. Okay, so God is light. Then we have John 4, 24. Jesus says, God is spirit. God is spirit. Human beings are made up of two main parts, body and soul or spirit. God has no body, so God is just spirit. And if God is only spirit, because he is God, he is a perfect spirit, infinite, eternal, unchanging. And so God is a most pure spirit. So our confession says God is a most pure spirit because he depends on nothing else. He is not made up of anything else but himself. And taking God as light, he is completely pure with God as spirit. And we can say he is a most pure spirit made up of nothing else. And then we have 1 John 4, 8, which says God is 
love. God is pure love. Okay, so we've had three statements in the Bible that say God is something. God is light, God is spirit, God is love. So which is it? Uh, it's all of them. All of them at the same time. And so the fact that we have all of these descriptions of the being of God tells us God is not one-eighth love, one-eighth light, one-eighth spirit, um, one-eighth wisdom, one-eighth goodness, and you could go on and on, find eight, eight things. Um, so you see what I'm saying? Uh, he is light, and he is love, and he is spirit, all at the same time. He is a hundred percent of all of these. So he is not made up of these different parts, attributes. Now maybe, maybe this part will get confusing, um, but uh, think about us. Uh, so think about our spirit. Our spirit is not a physical thing, right? Uh, your spirit, your soul, your mind, it's not physical. But your spirit can increase and decrease in some of these things we've talked about. Love, wisdom, goodness. Okay? So you can increase in wisdom or you can decrease in wisdom because your spirit is finite. It can decrease. And if it can decrease, it can also increase. Um, it's not going to increase to infinity, but it can, you can become more wise. Okay, I hope that makes sense. So then we think about God. If God is spirit and God is a pure spirit, well, we know he cannot decrease in wisdom. He can't decrease in love. So these aren't parts of God that make him up. They are what he is, always, forever. Um, they're not going to get big, better. They're not going to get uh, smaller. So, God is simple. That's simple, right? Sounds simple. Um, God is simple. Okay, so as it relates to the Trinity now, what does that have to do with the Trinity? Well, when we remember that God is simple, the conclusion then is that God is not part Father, part Son, and part spirit. Uh, he is not one God divided into three persons, divided into Father, Son, and Spirit. He is one being, one essence, and that one essence in, in the theology word, that one being of God is simple. It is not made up of parts. John Calvin says, we must not think God's simple essence to be torn into three persons. So as we try to understand the Trinity, we have to understand that we are not talking about um, the, the division of one into three. Um, each person is that whole one being, part 
I just used the word part. I shouldn't have said that word part. Because, uh, each person is the revelation of that one being. So we see this about the Son of God, Colossians 1, verse 19. In him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So in some sense, all of the being of God dwelt in the person of Jesus Christ. And yet it, in another sense, we can say it's the Son of God who, who comes to earth. We'll talk about that later. Um, that's hard to understand. Uh, and then chapter 2, verse 9, Colossians, In him, in Christ, the fullness of deity dwells bodily. Okay, so if God is uh, simple, if he is one being, not three parts, then what is it that unites the three persons of the Trinity? Um, so... I spent a lot of time on this one sentence to make sure that all these things are true uh, and that I was trying to understand it the best I could. But here is what unites the three persons as the one God. They are one in their divine activity, knowledge, power, life, and will. Activity, knowledge, power, life, and will. We don't have time, unfortunately, to today at least, to, to go into every single one of those things and how they are all three united in that, but they're united in their activity, knowledge, power, life, and will. Okay, so what is it that distinguishes Father, Son, and Spirit? If they're united in, in all of these three things, acti or all these things, activity, knowledge, power, life, and will. Okay, well, here's how one person puts it. Here's what distinguishes them. There's nothing that the Father is that the Son and Spirit are not, except for being the Father. There's nothing that the Son is that the Father and Spirit are not, except for being the Son. There is nothing that the Spirit is that the Father and Son are not, except for being the Spirit. Of course, then the question is, okay, well, what does that mean? What does it mean to be the Son? What does it mean to be the Spirit? But do you see the point? They are united in every aspect of the divine being, except in this relationship of Father, Son, and spirit. So in other words, the only distinction in the being of God is their relationship as Father, Son, and Spirit. Another day we'll talk about the, the external works of God and there, there's lots of distinctions you can make externally. It's the Son who dies on the cross. It's not the Father who dies on the cross. It's the Spirit who lives within us. It's not the Father who dwells within us. But that's all the external actions of God. But internally, in the being of God, what distinguishes them is the relationship as Father, Son, and Spirit. So we call this, in 
internal relations or relationship internal relations of origin and that already is confusing because origin seems that something began at a point in time and so as we're talking about this relationship we have to remember this is a relationship in eternity by the way these are not words that i'm coming up with these are all you know the people that we uh, believe uh, are, are orthodox the people that we respect as studying the word of god so i'm not some crazy heretic coming up with new stuff this is all old stuff um this is all people like john calvin or so there's an eternal relationship of origin. Um, we'll get to that. So uh, look at the confession, paragraph three. So we're now on page 672. Uh, paragraph three. going to come back to the first line later but I'm on the second line in the middle where it says each having okay so each person each person having the whole divine essence yet the essence undivided so that's what we've just talked about the essence of God is not divided it's not part father son and spirit uh, we'll skip again and come back to these other things um, so do you see now the fourth line where it starts with all infinite? So talking about all the persons, all infinites, without beginning, therefore, but one God, who is not to be divided in nature and being. So we don't divide him in his being, but distinguished by several peculiar relative properties and personal relations. So we don't divide the being of God, but we distinguish. You can make a distinction. Do you remember the R.C. Sproul quote? Uh, from I, I quoted it months ago. Um, R.C. Sproul says, you can distinguish between my soul and my body, and I'll be okay. But if you divide my soul and my body, then I die. You kill me. So you can't divide for us soul and body, but you can distinguish. We know that they are different. So division is not the same as distinguishing. We recognize a distinction. And so here in the confession, what does it say is the distinction. It says several peculiar relative properties and personal relations. Anybody want to suggest what you think that means? How are they distinguished by those several peculiar relative properties? <laughs> Go ahead, Chris. The sun relates to the Father in a different way than the sun relates to the Spirit. Right. Good. Right. 
Yes, exactly. So what distinguishes them? What's the only thing that distinguishes them in their being? It's their relationship. That's all that it's saying. Their personal relations. Um, some of you may know that this confession published in 1689 was based on others, Westminster and Savoy, and um, it's interesting to compare them. Um, this was the last one, this was the third one. And so that line and those lines about the division of the essence were added uh, from they were not in the Westminster and the Savoy, they were added by the Baptists because this is what people were fighting about. This is what a group of heretics was coming along and saying. They were saying, look, well, if you have these three persons, then you must be dividing God. And they're saying, no, 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 we don't divide God. We distinguish by the way that they relate to each other. Okay, so... How do they relate to each other? Father, Son, and Spirit. Uh, one person says, puts it this way, the, distinguish, the, the distinction is not what each person has, but how they have what they have. So how is Father, how does the Father have the being of God? How does the Son have it? And how does the Spirit have it? So the distinction is not what they have, but how they have what they have. Okay, back to the confession. Uh, paragraph three. Uh, I'll, just, I'll just read starting at the beginning of the paragraph. In this divine and infinite being, there are three subsistences. The Father, the Word or Son, and Holy Spirit of one substance, power, and eternity, each having the whole divine essence, yet the essence undivided. So now here it is. The Father is of none, neither begotten nor proceeding. The Son is eternally begotten of the Father. The Holy Spirit proceeding from the Father and the Son. So how does the Godhead have the divine essence? The Father in this eternal relationship, it says he is of none. Okay? But the Son is begotten. So the Father eternally, not at any point in time, but forever and ever, begets the Son. The Father is always giving the divine being to the Son. So it's obviously very difficult to wrap our heads around, but, but um, it's, the Son is not created at all. The Son is eternally sharing this divine being, this divine essence. But it's coming to him by the Father, eternally begetting him. Uh, I taught about that in December, so if you want to look that up, watch it. If you weren't here, you can, you can do that. Um, but John 5.26 is, I think, the one verse that really shows us this. John 5.26 says, 
As the Father has life in himself, so he has given to the Son to have life in himself. So, that right there will blow your brains, uh, will blow your mind. Uh, how does the Son have life in himself? He depends upon no one. The Son is the self-existent God. He is, I am, who I am. But, he says, it's given to him by the Father to have life in himself. So as God, he has life in himself, but this life in himself is given eternally by the Father. So that's how the, the Son has what he has as the one God. Well, then we have the Spirit. And uh, here, what Christians, we've always believed, is that the Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. And that's what it says here in our confession. So the Spirit is not begotten um, by the Father in the way that the Son is. Uh, the Spirit is not begotten by the Son. So it's not like Father passes it on to the Son, the Son passes it on to the Spirit. That's not how it works. Uh, we say that the Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. So if, if we can try to use a visual image, it's from both that the divine being is given, passed on eternally to the Spirit. But he, does, he is not begotten. He proceeds. Uh, I haven't totally wrapped my head around what that means, to proceed from the Father and the Son as opposed to being begotten. So that's your question. I can't answer it right now, but uh, that is something uh, to learn. You... Yeah, um, the thing he says is that he would be eternally proceeding. Mm -hmm. uh, they leave that out. They don't put eternally proceeding. That's a good point. I don't know why. John? What are the scriptures, the proof scriptures? Yeah, proceeding. Yes. We're, yeah, we'll, we'll go there now. So let's look at John 15. Gospel of John 15. So John 15, 26. When the helper comes, whom I will send to you, Jesus speaking, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Uh, so he, there he, you, say, you see that Jesus says he proceeds from the Father, uh, so there's people debate, well, he only proceeds from the Father, not the Son. But I think if you notice, Jesus says, I will send him to you. Um, so it's the same idea. Uh, Jesus will send and he proceeds from the Father. So he proceeds from the Father 
and the Son. And then um, if you go back to John 14, 26. John 14, 26. The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So the Father sends in the name of the Son. Uh, that, that one is the, uh, we would call it the, the external works, but it's, it seems to be the pattern reflecting what is happening in eternity. The Father and the Son are the Spirit proceeds from them, and so on earth, when the Spirit is sent, he is sent by the Father in the name of the Son. Now that's a hard, this is, that's the hard one to understand, is how the Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. Uh, so maybe next time, maybe another day. Um, we're almost out of time, so let me finish by saying, uh, here's one reason it matters that the Father, the Father Son, and Spirit have these eternal relationships. Um, because what it tells us is that God is light. And light creates life. So God in his nature is a fruitful, life-giving God. If you were just a monotheist, um, if you were logically to think about maybe the Jewish God or the Muslim God, then that view of God is just a spiritual rock because it's one God in one person. Um, but God, the triune God, is light. And he is life. And so from eternity, the Father is begetting. He is uh, generating the Son. And from eternity, together the Father and the Son, from them proceeds the Holy Spirit. Uh, so life is being brought forth eternally, not at any point in time, but always. Um, so let me quote Herman Bobbing, a theologian. He says, God is no abstract, fixed, solitary substance, but a plenitude of life. It is his nature to be generative and fruitful. So to generate, to be fruitful. Those who deny this fecund productivity, fecund means fertile, those who deny this fecund productivity fail to take seriously the fact that God is an infinite fullness of blessed life. All such people have left is an abstract deistic concept of God. Apart from the Trinity, even the act of creation becomes inconceivable. For if God cannot communicate himself, he is a darkened light, a dry spring, unable to exert himself outward to communicate himself to creatures. Uh, so that one line, there's one line there. He says, God is an infinite fullness of blessed life. Uh, that is something to meditate on and to worship God for. And um, uh, in the, the afternoon sermon, we're going to look at the end of 2 Corinthians and how we are to have communion with the triune God. Uh, but let's remember 
try to understand more of who the triune God is. And he is the infinite fullness of blessed life. Uh, Let's pray for God's blessing. Lord, we thank you for your word and for uh, guidance from um, the saints of the past to help us to understand your word better. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to, uh, as much as possible, uh, wrap our minds around um, difficult concepts, uh, help us to gaze upon your beauty and to know you as the infinite God full of blessed life. Uh, We praise you. We desire to worship you. We desire to have uh, hearts and minds more full of of thoughts of you. And uh, we pray for your continued help and your continued teaching of us uh, in understanding you better. And uh, we pray especially for this morning as we come again soon to worship you to hear your word proclaimed. We ask, Lord, uh, that you would help us to see your glory, uh, to see uh, your great love, especially how how you have revealed yourself to us as our Savior in Jesus Christ. And we come to you through Christ.